doing a series on the church. And uh, Kim will be bringing us uh, about the church, a transforming place, Romans 12, 1 and 2. you would turn to Romans chapter 12, please, you'll be encouraged to know that I'm only going to cover two verses. <laughs> and uh, I haven't preached to you for a long time. And when Dan asked me if I would come, I said, well, can you afford me? <laughs> and uh, I'm here. And although I'm going to speak from Romans 12, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I want to kind of get into the subject by mentioning a verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter is there describing the church as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and the people of God's own possession. And of those descriptors, what strikes me is beyond my ability to comprehend is that I am a person of God's own possession. Think about that for a minute. Ponder that. You are a person of God's own possession. And what does that all entail? It means, and honestly, people, this is mind-boggling. You are going to spend eternity in the presence of the triune God. Wow. When you get, you know, sometimes when you get a chance, just think on that for a while. And what the gospel is all about, it's God's plan of redemption. And it describes the process that God is using to make you a person of his own possession. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So with that in mind, I want you to turn if you haven't already, to Romans 12, 1. And it starts with a therefore. Therefores are always very important because it's connecting what is coming up with what's gone on before. 
So what Paul is about to tell you here is based on what he has already previously told you. And so through the early chapters of Romans, and I, look, I kind of look at Paul as the theologian of the New Covenant. That's why we got 13 Pauline epistles, and then if you add Hebrews, although I don't think Paul wrote it, whoever did was heavily under the influence of Paul. So that's why we got so much of Paul in the New Testament. He is the theologian of the New Covenant. And so what did it take to make you a person of God's own possession? What did God do to bring that to be? Now, I don't know why God did it. That was his choice. That's way above our ability to grasp. But for reasons of his own, and for his own glory, he decided to make you. Now, when I say you, here's the congregation. Collectively, we're the congregation. But the congregation is made up of individuals, and that's you. So what did he have to do to make you a person of his own possession? Ephesians. Let's turn over a couple of pages here to Ephesians chapter 1. It's right there and it's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the Get this, before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. You were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That's what it means to be a person of God's own possession. And then in Romans chapter 8, in fact, it's verse 8, 29, you were predestined. That's not a scary word. That's a good word. You were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, we are getting into some heavy stuff here. We're getting into some heavy stuff. And so on the basis of this, what do you owe God for this? That's another thing. That for what God is doing for me and to me, what do I owe him? And this is what Romans 12 one and two are all about. Therefore, brothers and sisters in the faith, Paul says, I beseech you. Here's a plea. 
And this is, plea is coming right out of the scriptures. And it's for you today, right now. I beseech you, brothers and sisters, now here it is, to present your bodies. Now he's talking about your physical body here. Present your physical bodies. And I thought, well, what does that entail? Three weeks ago, we had the Iron Man competition. <laughs> you know, it's all around us. Can't get to church. And you suppose somebody who participates in that just kind of says, I don't got a thing the next weekend. I guess I'll run over and do the, the Iron Man. <laughs> no. Those who participate have presented their bodies to that event. They practice. For years, they practice. Another example I like to use is ice skaters. They can make it look so easy. The grace, the pirouettes, all the... Boy, that... How do you suppose they learn that? They practice. Practice for years. You suppose they ever fell down? That's what Paul is talking about when he says, present your bodies, your physical bodies. Present your physical bodies to do what? And I'm reminded of a verse in, uh, it's Galatians 6.10, where Paul says, as, as much as is, as is in you, do good works to all people, and then he says, especially to the household of faith. How do you do good works to everybody in the household? With your physical bodies. So that's what it means. Now we're talking about your flesh and blood here now. You're not your own. You realize that? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. If you look, I got, I'm, the, I'm using the, the uh, English Standard Version. If you look at Romans 1 1, you don't have to look there, just listen. It starts out, Paul, a servant. And then I got a little textual note at the bottom of here. It could mean slave or bond servant. And sometimes the, I think the translators use that. You're not your own, you're a bond servant. No, you're a slave. And Paul was pleased to be able to claim that I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. 
Your body, physical body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now we're getting into some serious stuff here. And so you're to present your body as a living sacrifice. This is, now this is, as it, as it says here in, the, in, the, in Romans 12, 1, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay, yeah, all right. The word that's used here is which is your logical. That word is used in the, in the text. Logical means this is what you owe God. This is how I am logically indebted to God to present my body as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Catch the, the ideas of the Old Testament. Sacrifices were slain. No. You are to be a living sacrifice. For your whole life, you are to be a living sacrifice to God. That's what you owe him. Now you might say, well, I don't know if I like that. I got a friend in the Tennessee Valley Presbytery. You might, you probably know him, I mentioned to him, but I, I, I won't get him. But I said one time, I hear you, you say something occasionally, and he said, yeah, I do. I don't like this, you say. And his response is, don't blame me, I didn't write it. You get the point. The gospel is offensive. It hurts. It steps on your feet. It's painful. Don't blame me, I didn't write it. So then he goes on, Paul, here. And here's something that mystifies me. If you're looking at the ESV, verse 1 is, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now, in my version here, verse 2 starts, do not. Well, that's too bad. Because what is here is a conjunction. The word and is there. Why the translators did not put it in, I do not know. That baffles me. Because here's a coordinating conjunction. Paul is saying, present your bodies a living sacrifice and also this. It adds more force to what he's saying. So not only do you present your bodies, and that's the physical side of it. Now in verse 2, he's going to shift over to the non-physical side of it. And, and here there are two imperatives in this verse 2. An imperative is a command. Now, a couple, just an explanatory word about it. Commands are, you know, an order to do something. 
kids understand is buried. Little kids. Don't do this, don't do that, clean up your room. They know exactly what you're saying. Regardless of the forcefulness with which you say it, they know what you're saying, and guess what? Parents, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah. Kids are know all about imperatives. Yeah. And who else knows about imperatives? Husbands. <laughs> the women are laughing. Wife says to husband, sweetheart, will you get your golf clubs out of the Please get your golf clubs out of the front hall closet. Now that's not in imperative form. It's a question. Every husband knows, no, that's not a question. That is a command. So now you get the idea of what imperatives are all about. One more thing about imperatives is that if you're commanded to do something, behind that is the condition that you're able to do it. So if you get an imperative, the one who is issuing the imperative knows that you, you can fulfill it. Now I'm not going to ask uh, David to come up here and uh, read this text in Chinese. Because I know he can't do it. Well, David, you can't do it, can you? <laughs> oh, I just, just covered myself. All right. So the imperative carries with it the understanding that you are able to fulfill it. You can carry this out. All right, so here comes the first imperative. And it's in a verb form that's kind of unusual. Well, no, it's not unusual. It's imperative. But there is a, a, in, in verbs, there's what's called a voice, meaning is this active or is it passive? You understand? Are you doing the action or are you receiving the action? Well, there's also here in, in the Greek what's called a middle. And the middle, this is a present middle imperative, carries the idea of, uh, I'll say it's reflective, put it that way. And what that means is this is something you do for yourself. So here's the imperative. Be not conformed to this world. Now I've got to make a few adjustments here. This world is not what the text says. The text says, be not conformed to this age. Now, in some ways, world and age are, can be synonymous, but uh, otherwise they're not. Be not conformed to this age. And then Paul says in Galatians 1.4 that Christ has come to deliver you, and here it is, from this present evil age. So the same Paul is saying here, be not conformed. To this age. As one commentator put it, I think it was to show this reflective action, stop fashioning yourselves 
to this present evil age. Now, folks, that is something that's hard to do. And why it's hard to do is because all we know is this present evil age. We're born into it. We're raised in it. We live in it. We die in it. And thank God at death we're delivered from it. So Paul is saying here to you, stop fashioning yourselves to this present evil age. And the example I think of, and there are others, I'm getting so, and you say, well, that's just, that's because I'm old. Well, that's true. I'm getting, I'm getting uh, sorry to see Christmas come. And you know why? It has become a marketing holiday. Not just Christmas, but everything leading up to it. And what's going on at that's They're preaching the merchant's covetousness. Are you following me? The fact is Christmas, and the fact is we celebrate the Lord's birthday, which probably didn't happen then anyway, but it's become a carnival of, of covetousness. And Paul says covetousness is idolatry. Now you see where I'm going with this? That's the value, or one of the values, one of the conspicuous values of our present evil age. And that's what Paul is saying. Stop doing that. Stop fashioning yourselves according to this present evil age. And just as I referred to the Iron Man competition with Aishka, you learn to do this by practice. The Christian life is by practice. Are you going to fall down? Sure you are. But you're going to get up and you're going to practice some more. So we're admonished. No, stronger than that, we're commanded. Stop fashioning yourselves to the present evil age. You owe it to God for what he has done for you in making you a person of his own possession. You owe it to God to do this. Well, I don't know if I like that. Don't blame me. I didn't write it. So to not be conformed to this present evil age requires you to be different. We don't want to be different. We are all subject to varying degrees of what I'll say is peer pressure. We got school teachers out here in the congregation here. Little kids are tremendously influenced by peer pressure. They don't want to be different. And I can understand that. 
They want to be one of the crowd, one of the group. They don't want to be different. And adults are not immune to that either. You're subject to peer pressure just as well. The gospel calls you to be different. Don't be conformed to this present evil age. You owe it to God to do that. We learn it by practice. Now in verse 2 of chapter 12, now that was the first, that's the first imperative. There's two imperatives. The second one's coming up. Here is another conjunction. And this is in the text. Do not be conformed to this world, but. Now here is a uh, contrasting, contrasting conjunction. Whereas and is coordinating these two things together. Now here comes a difference. Don't be conformed to this world. Stop fashioning yourselves according to this present evil age. But, and this is a passive imperative, but be ye transformed. That's, a, that's quite a word there, transformed. Metamorphosis is what it is. Biological term. How do butterflies start out? There is a radical transformation that takes place. And radical is a fair word. It, the butterfly doesn't, the, the way it starts out, you say, not possible. And it, look what happens. A whole new nature is taken on. It has nothing, looks nothing like anything it started out as. And that's the word that's used here for transformed. But be, be ye transformed. Now, this is a passive imperative. And the idea here is permission. Meaning, okay, folks, let this happen to you. Be ye transformed. Let it happen. Don't fight it. Be ye transformed. So that's the, that's the verb form. That's the imperative. To what? How? How are you betraying? By the renewing of your mind. In Romans 8, 29, which I quoted to you, you are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That is what we call the process of sanctification. It's a lifelong process. It is accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it say it pretty forcefully for one reason. To apply to you. That's what his job is. He's the agent, if you will, of redemption. He is here to apply to you all the benefits that Christ provided through his sacrificial death on the cross. 
And these are the doctrines of grace. You're called. You're justified. You're a new creature in Christ. You're raised with him unto newness. All that. This is what sanctification is all about. The Holy Spirit is applying to you all the benefits that Christ what do I want to say? Paid the price for you to have. So this is the ongoing process of sanctification. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. People, let it happen. Don't grieve the Spirit. How do you grieve the Spirit? By conforming yourselves to this world. Second Corinthians. This is all through Paul's epistle. Second Corinthians 4.16, I think it is. Paul says, well, this is an English translation. The outer self is wasting away. Us older folks know what that means. The inner self is being, is being renewed day by day. That's the ongoing process. People, let it happen. Let it happen. You owe it to God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. And the result of that You'll find there in the last part of verse 2 of Romans 12. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing, I, I don't say I don't like that word. I prefer a, a, a better word. The idea here is that by being, you being conformed to the image of his son by the renewing of your minds. The idea here is that you can, I want a word instead of test, you can approve. That's, that's, that's the idea. That you can approve or will approve what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? I want to conclude with this. Two thoughts on this. There is God's will for you, and we, we think of it in terms of, don't let the word perceptive, meaning what you can perceive. What is known from the scripture. So his perceptive will for you is that you be conformed to the image of his son. That's good and acceptable and perfect. And I think that's what the meaning here is intended. But there is also, and I think this applies equally well, what we call the decorative will of God for you. 
In other words, what has God decreed for you as a person of his own possession? Well, he knows the number of hairs on your head. And he knows how many days he's allotted you. So that's the side of God's will, which is also good and acceptable and perfect, that we need to take comfort in. God knows all about you. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. He has created you to be a person of his own possession. And so these first two verses of Romans 12 are launching you on, okay, on the basis of all he's done for me, as described in the early part of the book of Romans, on the basis of all that, here's how I ought to live. This is what I owe him. And his will for you, whether it be perceptive or decorative, decreed, is good and acceptable and perfect. There are going to be times when you're not going to think that. The 23rd Psalm. The way our English translation is, yea, though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death. Well, that's there, but there's more idea is, yea, though I walk through the darkness. Because although death to us in this place is darkness, there are other things that we need to have, we need to walk through with Christ. All kinds of darkness. And you know what I'm talking about. Let me conclude. I want to turn to Ephesians, this is kind of, I'm not going to make any comment. I'm just going to read it to you. Ephesians chapter 3. Now listen to this. You got your Bible, open up to it. Got to get to Ephesians first. Ephesians 3. Here's Paul praying for the Ephesians. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love, now get this, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
How big is your salvation? What did it cost? Now to him, who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is all about. Take it home with you. Work on it. Meditate on it. Revel in it. And be convicted by it where you fall short. May God bless you with this teaching from his word. Let's pray. Our Father,